You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading for today is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood can't inherit God's kingdom. Something that rots can't inherit something that doesn't decay. Listen, I'm telling you a secret. All of us won't die but we will all be changed in an instant, in the blink of an eye, at the final trumpet. The trumpet will blast and the dead will be raised with bodies that won't decay, and we will be changed. It's necessary for this rotting body to be clothed with what can't decay, and for the body that is dying to be clothed in what can't die. And when the rotting body has been clothed in what can't decay, and the dying body has been clothed in what can't die, then this statement in Scripture will happen. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting, death? Death's sting is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of all this, my loved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the word of the Lord, in the work of the Lord, as always, because you know that your labor isn't going to be for nothing in the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In 2006, a movie called Stranger Than Fiction was released. Now, I'm not going to give you all the spoilers, but it's been long enough that I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler. So the main character is named Harold Crick, and he's an IRS auditor. One day he begins to hear a voice narrating his life. He seems perplexed by the fact that this narrator is a female voice, She's incredibly accurate, and she actually has a better vocabulary than he does. Over the course of the movie, he's worried that he has a mental illness. He seeks out help, but then he actually discovers a very strange thing. This voice belongs to an author, and this author is writing a story in which Harold Crick is the main character. Whatever she said happened to him did happen. So he seeks out this author, and he discovers that in all of her stories, the main character dies at the end. Well, he tracks down this woman, and he expresses to her that he doesn't want to die. Well, she has finished her manuscript, but she hasn't yet sent it to the publisher. And so one day, he sits down, and he, she, and he reads her entire manuscript, After reading the whole thing in one sitting, he turns and tells her that it was perfect. And now that he sees the whole picture, he wouldn't change a thing. 
The ending of the story was a mystery, but when he saw it revealed to him, he found that it was perfect. In our text today, St. Paul says that he tells us a mystery. And so, like someone engaged in a good mystery book, we should be eager to see what the answer is to the mystery. Well, there may be some things that surprise us and others that confuse us. But in the end, we, like Harold Crick, may find the conclusion quite satisfying. Paul is teaching the church at Corinth about the events surrounding the resurrection. And he concludes this particular section of scripture by telling us that the proper response to the facts of resurrection is to get to work. Paul wrote, listen, I'm telling you a secret. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. And at the very end of that passage, he says, when the rotting body has been clothed in what cannot decay and the dying body has been clothed in what cannot die, then this statement in scripture will come true. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. This victory is not done by us. Instead, it is done by God. It is the victory that we discover through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, 2,000 years ago, that was the focus of the early church. People who actually knew Christ when he walked upon the earth, they would proclaim the good news and they would talk about the resurrection that they witnessed. And now, two millennia later, we see the world and we talk about the resurrection of Christ, but we also see everything else in this world through the lens of that experience. Everything that we do and say is colored by our knowledge that Christ died and Christ defeated death. Now, it feels a little bit to me like the experience that I've noticed living through COVID. At the very beginning of 2020, we all turned on the news, and that was the only thing on in March of 2020, the novel coronavirus. There was no other thing happening on the news for at least one solid week, even though we all know life was still happening. And now here we are in 2022. We're shifting from the phase of the pandemic where the only thing anyone talks about is COVID to now we see the world and our lives through the lens of COVID in our midst. It still influences the decisions that we make and the plans that we create, but it is no longer the primary focus of what we talk with everyone else about. In the same way, the resurrection isn't what we all talk about all the time, but it is how we see the world. So knowing that we see the world through the lens of resurrection, I want us to think about this phrase I've heard some other preachers use. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. This means that no matter what trauma and tragedy and loss, we may know, like Good Friday, the day that Jesus died, there is resurrection coming one day. Now, those early disciples did not know when Jesus died on Friday that he would rise again on Sunday. They had to live 
with the pain and the grief of having lost their friend and their teacher. But they knew that he had left them a promise and that one day they would find comfort. And that resurrection happened on Sunday. For us, we have lived through the pandemic of COVID, which is sort of over, but not quite yet. And we don't really know. We don't know when Sunday is coming, but we know that there is hope of resurrection one day. This is the hope that we live with. And that's why we've heard this phrase before. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. Well, a colleague of mine in North Carolina kind of turned that phrase on its head when he reflected on this scripture. He said, I take comfort in knowing that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But if you're anything like me, perhaps you're really wondering, it's Sunday, but Monday's coming. My friend, Reverend Justin Morgan, asked, if resurrection changes everything, how does it change our work and how we spend the rest of our week when we are outside of church? That's a really good question. If the resurrection changed everything in the world, how does it change us apart from the time that we come to worship? Well, in our scripture text today, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul provides us with a very extensive explanation of resurrection. And he talks about all of the things that will happen in the future and what resurrected bodies will be look like and what will happen to the folks who are still alive when Christ returns. But it's his final sentence that grabbed my attention this week. Quote, As a result of all this, my beloved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord as always, because you know that your labor is not going to be for nothing in the Lord. Did you catch that? According to St. Paul, the resurrection of Christ gives us hope because the mystery of death has been defeated. And then because of that resurrection, we are called to work knowing that our labor matters. Now, it might not seem like an obvious logic. Because Jesus is resurrected, we should give ourselves fully to our work. What does Jesus's resurrection have to do with our work? It's easy to miss that connection if we only think of the gospel good news as getting our ticket to heaven punched so that we know where we're going when we die. Some might even think that the only eternal work worth doing is telling other people how to get their ticket to heaven when they die. And if that's your understanding of the gospel, it's easy to dismiss the value of other work. But as we've journeyed through scripture over these last 52 weekends of worship, we've seen from the very beginning chapter of Genesis to the very end of Revelation last week that our story doesn't begin and end with sin. Our story begins with God creating a very good world. And our story ends with that creation being made new a new heaven and a new earth. From the very beginning to the end of the narrative of our sacred text, we see the goodness of God infusing all of creation. And then in the middle of that story, we encounter Christ, and we hear him say in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
the incarnation of Christ, brought the reality of God's kingdom close enough to those first disciples that they could physically touch the proof of resurrection. When Jesus rose from the grave, he was not just purely spiritual, but he had scars that Thomas could touch. Granted, some things have changed. He could walk through walls, but it's still a body. And that indicates that what happens in this world is connected to what happens in the next. And Paul says, look, resurrection proves that what we do here matters. So get to work. Nothing is wasted when we do our work with God's kingdom in mind. Therefore, the invitation that we have in this moment is to give ourselves fully to the work that God has given to us because our labor is not in vain. Work is inherently meaningful. It's part of what it is to be made in the image of God. Adam and Eve had work to do before they sinned. It was after they sinned that they knew the frustration of labor. And we are told that we will continue to work in Christ's coming kingdom. Work is valuable. But over the last year from 2021 to now, we've heard this phrase, the great resignation. It was a term coined to describe the number of people deciding to leave their jobs because that was not the work they were called to in this life. Now, for some, that resignation came because they had to care for children. For others, it was because they realized now what a work-life balance could be without a commute. And for others, it simply brought mortality close to their hearts, and they realized they did not want to continue to spend their entire career doing something that was no longer satisfying. I think some folks discovered that their daily work felt meaningless, much like the plight of Sisyphus, that Greek from mythology, whose punishment from the gods was to roll a giant stone up a hill every day, only to watch it roll back down repeatedly through all eternity. For others, though, the COVID pandemic allowed them to discover new and meaningful work. This was true for one of our neighbors here in the Buckingham community. Miraflora Ventura said that before the pandemic, she would go to work, and afterwards she would go home and keep to herself. She was busy raising young twins. She was busy at work, working on the Arlington County school buses. But all that changed during the pandemic. During lockdown, her nearby neighbors reached out to her because they'd lost their jobs and they were hungry. Miraflor said, I started giving from my house first. I said, here, I have what you need. You can have it. Then she started reaching out in a local Arlington Facebook group. She started saying what the neighbors needed, milk and formula and diapers and other things to help care and feed their families. One neighbor helping another. Miraflor recognized that there was a great need and there was a willingness to help neighbors, but we needed to make the connections between the two. Well, now it's a nonprofit organization called Casa Miraflor. They've outgrown her apartment where they started, and they now use some storage space here in the building that we rent. 
This year, the school supplies that we collected went to Casa Miraflor, and yesterday and today, they were able to distribute all of the school supplies that we had purchased, as well as donations from other neighboring churches and from other individual neighbors. I know that yesterday they gave out items to 150 families from the Buckingham community. Those were just the elementary school students, and they're the ones who go to Barrett. Today, they handed out items to kids who go to Swanson Middle School or WNL High School. Recently, Miraflor was wondering if she should stay at her current job as an assistant or a bus attendant, if she should do the training to become a bus driver, or if it would be possible for her to figure out how to do her nonprofit work full-time. I've always enjoyed asking people the question, if you won a million dollars, what would you do? It's interesting to hear the ones who would quit their job immediately, and the ones who would keep going to their day job because they love it, the ones who would go back to school, the ones who would finally get to that vocation that they knew was their heart's calling, but they'd never been able to do. I haven't had a chance to ask Mariflor that particular question. But I suspect, given her wonderings last week, if she had the funding, she'd choose her nonprofit as the work that God had given her to do for her life. Now, for those who were not yet retired, if you won the lottery, would you keep your day job? Or do you have other work that God has called you to do? Do you need to wait to do that work? Or can you start right here, right now, in some small way? to do the work that God has in mind for you. Because you have been given something that God wants you to do in this life, something that you are specifically called and gifted for. Every single form of work anticipates that God's kingdom is near, and it is a part of what God is doing in this world. If we look at scripture, we see over the different sections of text, God is compared in one place as a metal worker, another a farmer, another a shepherd, another a winemaker, another a builder, another a musician, and also a garment maker. Not to mention that we know Jesus was a carpenter for much of his life. God was at work, and people saw it, and they saw it in the professions that they themselves did. What do you see God doing in your world? What is the work that God has for you to do? And if you're not doing it right now, how can you take the first step to live out your God-given gifts? Imagine if we began to see all forms of work as a calling, as a vocation. If we believed this, I'm convinced it would change the way that we live and work. It would not only change our work, but it would change our church and maybe even our country. What if we created groups within churches for people like attorneys or business folks to get together to dream and pray about the ways in which God's kingdom work is intersecting with their work? One of the people that I follow on Facebook works full-time as an immigration lawyer and part-time as a United Methodist pastor. He frequently posts information that I never would have known about our immigration system if it wasn't for him doing his work in the world. 
His work in God's kingdom is equally as much when he is wearing his hat as a lawyer and doing his work as an immigration attorney as it is when he's standing in a pulpit and preaching. What if churches could see the holiness of all vocations? Would we develop mentor programs where seasoned professionals could come alongside recent graduates and help them fully live out their vocation? Not just succeed in a career, but to do the work that God had called them to do. Friends, today is our day of worship, but Monday is coming. And so remember that the power of the resurrection means that God has given you work to do. So let's get going. Glory to God. Amen.